Thanks, Richard. So what are we to do with the story of the resurrection that we hear every year? We say it in our creeds and we're going to welcome some new people into our congregation before we finish the service today and we'll say a modified creed and we'll say it there. It's what we do. That's what the Christian church does. That's the centre of our story. But what do we do believing something that's so strange, so unusual? Science doesn't give us any help in believing something like this, that a person could be dead, really dead, because of the way he was killed, crucified, and and then still be alive three days later. It would probably be foolish, given what we're discovering about our world every day, to say this could never possibly ever happen in any part of the universe ever. But it's still very hard to believe. It's a bit like often like Alice in Wonderland who in talking to the Red Queen discovered that the Red Queen wanted her to accept something that Alice thought was impossible and she said I I don't know how you can believe impossible things there's no use trying Alice said one can't believe impossible things and the Queen said well I dare say you haven't tried very much When I was younger, I always did it for half an hour a day. Why, sometimes I could believe as many as six impossible things before breakfast. Is that what we're being asked to do? Kind of grit our teeth and go, well, I don't know, but it'll be over. Easter will be over soon and I won't have to think about it again. Well, maybe it's it's about what we mean by believe. Uh, we often believe, say we believe things that really have no impact on our lives at all. You, you may have heard recently that there's been an increase in the number of people who say they believe that the earth is flat rather than round. And it seems absurd, doesn't it, to imagine that there would be a group of people that's growing that would believe this. But I wonder whether it's a kind of an idle thing because it doesn't really impact on your life very much at all. Let's say you've accepted that you've read some of this stuff and you believe that the earth is flat. What you do this afternoon and tomorrow won't change on the basis of that. You might uh, think about things differently, but these kind of beliefs don't seem to have much impact on us. And the resurrection is one of those things that's the same. If we say it's about an event that happened 2,000 years ago, and I believe it, and you say it's an event that happened 2,000 years ago, and I don't believe it, neither of our lives change that much if that's what it's all about if it's only about some kind of set of facts that we believe i believe the earth is round not sure that's making much impact on the way my life is if we talk about the resurrection as we often do as transformation then we might be able to come to grips with it in a way that can help us make it a useful story for us, rather than just one of those things that you sort of say, well, yes, I'm a Christian, therefore I must believe in the resurrection. I just, I'll slide it over there for now. We do it all the time because we're aware of the laws of thermodynamics that nothing actually ever goes away. Things just change. One form of energy becomes a different form of energy. And we were talking about this a couple of weeks ago. All the bits that have made you out of the universe were something else before they became you. And when you no longer are you, all those bits will become something else. Again, we know this to be true. This is the whole basis of the way our universe operates. And we tell it in the story of Easter when we talk about butterflies, which are all over our stuff. 
and when we talk about eggs. When a, a caterpillar becomes a butterfly, the caterpillar doesn't die, it transforms. When an egg is becomes a chick or gets eaten for breakfast, it doesn't go away, it transforms into energy in my body or into a chicken. But this is the way we talk about things all the time. It's one form of life becoming another. This is the story of the resurrection. And I think one of the reasons why we have paintings like Fra Angelica's, uh, because it's not actually showing us the event of that transformation. It's showing us the experience following that transformation, what that transformation has meant to some of these individuals. But how do we come to grips with that kind of transformational idea in this ancient story? Let me suggest this. This painting here is probably the most famous painting in the world. It was painted by Leonardo da Vinci in the early 16th century. It's a masterpiece of the Italian Renaissance. It's one of the world's most recognisable paintings. But a bit like the resurrection, it's kind of over-familiar. So just have a quick glance at, yeah, yeah, Mona Lisa, good, move on. You've seen it. And like the resurrection, you can't experience it directly. Most of us will only ever see it in image, uh, dig digital images or in a reproduction in a book. And if you're fortunate enough to go to the Louvre in Paris, you will see it, but you won't be able to engage with it directly either because it's behind bulletproof glass and you have to ste step in front of it in a... In, a uh, in fact, it's like a conveyor belt these days. You kind of have to move through really quickly. So none of us can engage with this image directly. And like the resurrection, there's so many of it, bits of it that remain a mystery. We're not 100% certain who the woman is in the painting. She's possibly a noble woman that uh, was that uh, Da Vinci was doing some work for their family, but we don't know for sure, and we don't know what she's thinking. And that's one of the mysteries of this painting. Why has she got that particular look on her face? And lots and lots have been written about this. Like the resurrection, we can't deal with it directly. And it would be silly to ask, what is this painting about in a kind of clinical fashion? That wouldn't get us very far at all. We could certainly want to know a little bit about Leonardo da Vinci, which might be helpful. It might be helpful to know a little bit about the technique he used to paint this kind of painting. But really what we want to do with a painting like this, and what we would all love to do, at least I would, is have everybody in the Louvre leave, get a nice lounge chair and a glass of wine and sit there for a while. That's what I really want to do. I know I can't do that, but that's what I really want to do. I can do it here and look at that for a while. We need to experience it. We need to sit with it. And I think this is one of the reasons why there are so many stories, not about the resurrection itself, in, in John's Gospel that Richard read us and in the other Gospels, but the stories of what happened to the people who had an experience after the resurrection. They had an experience not of the resurrection, but of an interaction with what happened after, with, with Jesus. 
who appears to them to be just like the Jesus they knew and nothing like the Jesus they knew. He appears to be the one that they recognised because they've been with him for three years and then Mary thinks he's the gardener. Whatever is going on here, it is not straightforward. So where are we going to be in this story? We, we can't be the other disciple, as he's called in the, in the story that we read, because he walked into the tomb, saw that Jesus wasn't there and believed. But then it says, but they didn't remember, they didn't understand that Jesus was going to resurrect. So what did he believe? Well, that Jesus was gone. It's pretty straightforward. He, and it says, the disciples returned to their homes. They were there, but they were unchanged by it. They were there, but they were unchanged by the experience. That's, I think, it's the, one of the saddest parts of the, of the New Testament. One of the saddest parts of the resurrection story is they were in the midst of something dynamic and extraordinary. They yawned and went home. You ever travelled? Anywhere, it doesn't matter. And when you've got home from that place that you visited and you looked at all the famous places and then you discovered from a friend or something you read that not far from where you happened to be there was this extraordinary artwork, extraordinary vista, extraordinary restaurant, extraordinary something and you were only a kilometre or so away and you missed it. That's happened to me lots. And of course it always will because there's so many extraordinary things in the world. This is the kind of experience this, these two disciples seem to have had. But then there's Mary. who We don't know anything about what she believed. We know she was mistaken about who Jesus was. We know she was heartbroken. We know that she could experience something extraordinary without even noticing it. Well, that sounds a lot like me. I could go through an entire day experiencing the extraordinary fact that I'm alive and think, well, not much happened today. I'm all over that. What if, like Mary, we were willing to be just uncertain about it? I'm not sure what to believe. I'm not sure if this is Jesus or the, the gardener. I'm not sure where he's gone. I don't know who these angels are talking to me. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know any of that. I'm not sure. What if you're not sure whether you can believe six impossible things before breakfast? What if you're strong in your belief but it doesn't have any impact on your life? What if you kind of want to believe that the earth is round but you can't remember what they taught you in school to help you remember how to reinforce that belief? And What if none of those things are what's important? What if you do what Mary did and not what the other guys did and go home? Stay put. Just stay there. Just stay in that moment. Stay in front of the painting. Stay in the middle of this story that you know you can only half believe, that you know you can only half understand because of the bits and pieces that we've got of it in the Gospels. Stay in there in the experience of uncertainty. Stay mistaking one thing for another like we do all through our lives. And then sometimes it makes sense. Because in the end, Mary says to the other disciples, I have seen the Lord. And in John's Gospel, seeing is everything. Seeing isn't just seeing with your eyes. Seeing is understanding, is being revealed. Ah, this 
is the meaning of my life. Ah, this is the purpose of the world. Ah, this is the sense of what it means to be human. Seeing is deeply, deeply engaged. To see in John's Gospel is to really know. It's revelation. It's enlightenment. Because Jesus said much earlier on in this same book, if you've seen me, then you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you have seen the meaning of everything. Why? Because Jesus was so extraordinary? Yes. But also because Jesus was so human and so alive in his humanity. Mary said, I have seen the Lord. I have seen Let's see what we will see. Let's see what we will see.